Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning, that we might hear from you. Speak to us, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What do I do? What do I do right now? It seems like a common question that all of us have been asking ourselves quite a bit these days. We look around the world and we clearly see that things are not right. It seems like there's a bug in the system or that there's a string that's perhaps out of tune. The scales are clearly unbalanced, aren't they? And so we wonder, as we look around, maybe there's something that I should be doing right now. Maybe I can help. Now, I'm sure this is a question that you have asked either yourself, uh, people in your household, coworkers, friends. I'm sure that this is a question that you've probably been thinking about in some degree, in some respect, over the last several months. And the truth is, is that this is a question that people have been asking for generations. As long as humans have been walking the earth, there have been power-hungry governments, there have been a plethora of incurable diseases, There's been corruption and inaction by local leaders. There's been racial and ethnic tensions. There's been disregard for the poor and the marginalized. This is a question that we find ourselves asking quite a bit as humans. What do I do about all of this? Now, for the Christian, this question has a bit of a twist to it. This question is asked in a particular light for those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we worship the God who became man, and he walked among us, and he lived the beautiful life in the midst of a broken world. And more than that, he conquered all the powers of corruption, disease, oppression, and death. He rose from the dead, and he is now seated in the heavenly realms, advocating on our behalf. And so for us, as Christians, when we ask what do I do? This isn't a a hopeless question that's just kind of lobbed into the deep abyss. No, instead for us, brothers and sisters, this is a prayer. It's a prayer that's lifted up into the throne room of heaven and placed at the feet of Jesus. For us, when we ask this question, it's a prayer that ascends, and as it ascends, it transforms from what do I do into a different question or a similar question. God, what is your will? What is your will in the midst of all of this, Lord? How might you use me, Lord, in the midst of such tragedy and brokenness and confusion and hostility? What is your will? You see, for the people of God, it's not a cry of despair, but it is a pursuit for the will of God. It's a desire for the will of God to be made known to us. And that brings us to our reading from Romans chapter 12. This is a moment in which we hear the Apostle Paul talk about the will of God. This is a letter written by Paul, a spiritual father to so many communities around the ancient world. And here in this book, in his letter to the Romans, he's giving them instructions, instructions on how to live in a very difficult world. And the center of this passage, the crown jewel of this passage is when Paul talks about God's will. And he's writing to these dear people who he loves. And he's effectively saying to these believers, 
I know that you're starved for the will of God right now. I know that you want to hear it. I know that you want to discern it. I know that you want to know the will of God right now. And then he unpacks this phrase, and I love the way that he does this. He unpacks the will of God by using three words. He calls the will of God, there at the, at the um, bottom of that first paragraph, he calls the will of God good. That is, it's noble. It's morally right. It's just. Also, he calls it acceptable. That's another way of saying that it's pleasing. It brings joy to those who are familiar with it. It is a beautiful thing. Thirdly, the will of God is perfect. There's nothing lacking in the will of God. It is complete. It is full. It is finished. In other words, the will of God is completely and wholly true. So the will of God is good. It's beautiful. It's true. So I don't know what brought you here today, but I imagine that you're probably like me and that you come to church every week so that you can get a glimpse of the will of God for your life. You want to be able to participate in God's goodness. You want to be able to take joy in the beauty of God. You want to be able to be guided by his truth. You want to experience the will of God in your life. Because friends, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And apart from God, we are just lobbing questions into the abyss. So many years ago, probably 20 years ago now, uh, Molly and I we were both in college and we were just friends. We, we were nothing more than friends at this point. We were friends all throughout uh, college. We didn't start dating until afterwards. And she's shaking her head right now. <laughs> she doesn't know where this story is going. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so there is this event going on at college where uh, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of the college students were putting on this, this dance performance, this dance recital. And my friend Molly got me a ticket so that I could go and watch this and see her dance routine. I don't know if a lot of you know this, but Molly is an incredible dancer. She spent a majority of her childhood studying dance. And so she wanted me to come and see her routine. I got really excited about that. I thought this will be really cool. So Molly's routine came and it was absolutely amazing. It was so cool. It was great. Uh, so it was set to a song, some of you might know uh, Radiohead, uh, and Jamie Colin, he's like this jazz artist. He, he set uh, one of Radiohead's songs to a nice jazz piece, and that's what Molly danced to. And it, Molly's uh, piece had components of jazz to it, modern dance, ballet, and there were moments where she was just floating across the stage. There were other moments where she was tap dancing and just absolutely electrifying the audience. Everyone just had so much joy in seeing this dancer up on the stage. And then what I really remember most about it was Molly's smile. She was having so much fun. And here we are, 20 years later, and I can still remember that smile on her face and just how it was, it was bigger than the entire stage. It filled up the whole place. Well, Molly stole the show that night. And afterwards, other people's parents were coming up to Molly and being like, you did so good, that was so amazing, that was great, you know. You could see like the other performers being like, well, how about me, mom, you know. So it was really cool. So do you know what this required of Molly to put on such a great production like that? It required her entire being. It required her entire presence. She studied, the dan she studied dance, she studied these moves, she studied the genres of dance with her mind 
so that she could understand the movements and the rationale that, that went behind them. But also she disciplined her body into, uh, so that she could execute these moves with absolute precision and perfection. And then also her heart was fully into it. Anyone watching that could clearly see that this was something that she was enjoying and loving. So there's research out there uh, that shows that uh, for an audience that's watching dance, the audience actually feels what the dancer is feeling. There's sort of a, a communication of feeling that happens in a dance performance. And actually, dance is one of the most empathetic art forms that's out there. In other words, the will of the dancer, that is the feelings and the desires of the dancer, gets, gets communicated to the audience. The will of the dancer and the audience become intertwined. So how do we discern God's will? That's what we're talking about this morning, right? Not dancing, although that's awesome. But how do we discern God's will? Well, friends, you practice and you participate with your entire being. You get on the stage. You get involved in it. You study it. You research it. In fact, when we look at the first paragraph in Romans, that's the kind of language that we see Paul using here. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We're meant to get in the game. We're meant to get on the stage. We're meant to serve our brothers and our sisters. We're supposed to look at the life of Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. We're supposed to, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But also, we're called to worship spiritually. That is, we're supposed to get our hearts involved in it as well. We're supposed to fall in love with the things that God loves. We're supposed to ask the Holy Spirit to mold our hearts into the heart of God. God, show me what you are doing and help me to fall in love with it. Make me love the things that you love, God. I want to adore the things that you adore. But also we're called to, to seek the renewal of our minds. That is that we're supposed to study the scriptures. We're supposed to see the, the things, the stories of God, the way in which he interacts with his people, the way in which he seeks after the poor and the marginalized, the lost and the broken, and how he brings healing to them. We ourselves are called to grow in our knowledge and wisdom of God. So friends, are you here this morning because you want to hear from God? Do you want to hear from God? Well, throw yourselves into the dance. Worship the Lord with all of your mind, your body, and your soul. And I hope you don't hear that today as this overwhelming and crushing burden. I'm not trying to burden you. No, I'm trying to invite you into a dance. I'm trying to invite you into something so that joy can fill your life and your presence. So that when others interact with you, it's as if they're interacting with Jesus himself. That there's just this joy and this peace and gladness that emanates from you as your will becomes intertwined with the will of God. Through service, through worship, through learning, may it be so. So in our communion prayers, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, but in our, in our communion prayers every week here during outdoor worship, there's a little snippet, a little, it's called a, a prayer preface is the liturgical term for it. But there's something, there's this preface that changes uh, depending on the season, uh, that we're in or the occasion or sometimes the mood of, of your priest, uh, this, this prayer will change. And the prayer preface that I've been using during our communion liturgy is actually used, the special occasion for it is for the consecration of a building. And I thought, what we are doing here every Sunday outside is we are re-consecrating a building. 
We're reconsecrating a space. We're claiming this field, this territory, right now for the kingdom of God. And so this is what that prayer prefaces: our great high priest, in whom we are building up, built up as living stones of a holy temple, that we might offer before you a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which is holy and pleasing in your sight. So I just love that imagery. As we are here gathering outside, we are being built up as living stones of God's holy temple. Now I also love that because it reminds me of Romans chapter 12, that passage that we're looking at. Not just because we're called to, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, although that's true, but because it's, it's such a clear reminder of the part that all of us have to play in our spiritual life together. And there's so many metaphors that are used for this. Sometimes it's, it's a living stones of a building that are being built up. Sometimes it's, it's plants within a garden. But in Romans, what, what Paul uses here, the metaphor that he uses for life together is as a body. And I love that. I love his emphasis of life together as a body. You see, the Christian life, that is the pursuit of God's will, is not an individual endeavor. Even though we are many, we are all one in Christ, Paul tells us. We are all united in him. And we're not supposed to think more highly of ourselves than anyone else here. No, we are all cherished, loved sons and daughters of God. And we are, and we are given the reminder that God gives to each of us beautiful gifts to be shared with the entire congregation. Gifts of teaching, gifts of encouragement, gifts of exhortation, gifts of generosity. These are things to be shared with the entire congregation. Now, why would Paul start talking about life together after talking about the pursuit of God's will? Why would he do that? Well, the reason why is because we are not meant to pursue after God's will by ourselves. No one is meant to go through the Christian life alone. The fact is, until Jesus comes back, there will still be suffering in the world. There will still be calamities in the world. Yes, as Christians, we try to battle against the injustices that we see, but there will always be injustices present. And the, and the fact is, is that nobody should go through this alone. How many times, I've, I've had so many conversations with a lot of you lately where we've, we've been talking about the challenges of the world, and we talk about the, 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 the fellowship and the community and the friendship that we're able to draw from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just, my heart breaks for people who don't have this, who have to go through life alone. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like God is inviting you into his church, into his kingdom, into his community, so that you don't have to go through life alone. Because no one should have to wait for lab results by themselves. No one should have to stand next to an empty grave by themselves. No one should have to, to, to wait for a phone call by themselves. No, we are meant to do these things as a community, being the presence of Christ to one another. This is one of the reasons why we have life groups at Restoration. It's one of the reasons why we, we have these smaller groups, because Sunday mornings aren't the best for, for forming good friendships with people. So that's one of the reasons why we do life groups. It's a chance to break bread with one another, to enjoy fellowship with one another. It's a time to pray with one another. But also it's a time when you are going through your hardest moments in life, we can look to those friends around you and say, will you, be this, will you be in this with me? When you are asking yourself, oh God, what do I do right now? You can do so with brothers and sisters around you. So some of you are here this morning and you are asking God, 
What do I do? So my encouragement to us is to seek his Holy Spirit, to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and body. May you familiarize yourself with the stories of God so that when you hear from him, you're like, that's it, that's the Lord. That is his will for this moment right now. And not as an individual who's doing this in isolation, but alongside brothers and sisters who love you dearly. So in a few moments, we're actually going to take an opportunity uh, in a few moments to put this into action, to actually see what this looks like. So we're going to do prayers of the people a little bit differently this morning. We're going to be asking members of our children's leadership team to come up. And in addition to praying for the needs of the church and the world, which we do every week, we're also going to be praying for a a certain uh, group of folks, those of you who are returning to to some form of school this year. We're going to be praying for teachers. We're going to be praying for, for staff at schools. We're going to be praying for students as well. Because we know that there's, there's just a lot of anxiety that's going on this year, right? And not just for those of you who are directly involved in, in someone going to school, but even just for the wider community. Everyone's asking, like, what's school going to be like this year? And so we as a church want to pray into that this morning. We want to set aside some time for that. And teachers, staff, and students, in spite of there being so many unknowns, we want to pray that you meet God this year in very powerful and profound ways. Teachers, as you guide your students, and students, as you learn about God's creation, may you grow in your love and knowledge of him this school year. That's going to be our prayer this year. Uh, That's going to be our prayer this morning. So in light of this, please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, there are many anxieties in this world. There are many injustices that we see. We've got many things that are heavy on our heart this morning, and we come to you wanting to know what your will is for us as individuals, but also, Lord, as brothers and sisters who are called to a local body, we want to know what your will is for us. And Lord, in a few moments, we're going to be praying for teachers and students and staff, and we ask that you would make your will evident to them as well. Holy Spirit, may we hear your voice with clarity this ministry year and this school year. Bless those who are off to school this year, Lord. So fill us more with your presence, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.